When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Monday's episode of a Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Craig Fowler, one of three Craigs on today's show. I'm also joined by Craig Anderson. Hello. And Craig Cairns. Hello. Ah, what a name, three guys. I have a colleague at work, uh, we've got two colleagues at work are Craigs as well, but one of them's got the same, like very similar surname as well, so we have like an email amnesty basically, where like probably once a day we have to like swap, swap over all the emails we've received for each other. Um, I think Slovenia and Slovakia do the same thing with their embassies, so we're, we're kind of in the same boat as that. <laughs> I, don't, I hate it. I don't know about Slovenia and Slovakia. Craig, what do you hate? Your name? Yeah. Mainly because how common it is, yeah. but It's not common yeah. anymore. Nah, yeah. Not, 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 amongst, not amongst the kids of, the kids yeah. of 2023. It's, it's not common at all. If only they had the internet in the 80s. <laughs> I actually really like my name. It's uh, the Scottish word for rock. I think that's quite cool. Yeah, and then my surname's like a small hill or something. Yeah, so yeah, what what an exciting name! <laughs> a rock and a small hill. That is, uh, my name is a rock, and uh, the employee used to have to look after your poultry. <laughs> and and mine is uh, the son of Anders, so a bit of a Viking. It's not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Beats mine. Well, let's get on to something interesting then. Kilmarnock 2, Nick Montgomery's Hibernian 2. The first game for the new Easter Road boss at the weekend. And from just looking at it, I mean, you're going to tell me about the game, Craig, but just looking at the scoreline on Saturday and how the game panned out, Hibs, dangerous away from home, scored two goals, have a two-goal lead, soft underbelly in defence, 
don't win the game. It seems like Hibs have got themselves a Hibs manager, Craig. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, actually, strangely for me talking about a killer game, there probably is a lot more to talk about than Hibs than my own team, and I think they there was very obvious invisible differences with how they set up and how they were trying to play football, but ultimately. Come the end of it, yeah, it was it was very very Hibs like in how how the match finished. Where they they were probably actually lucky to to hang on for a point at the very end of the game, having seemed and not not control, but obviously going two 0 up. You think you know the game's probably yours, and they did what Hibs so often do. And I, I have to say, I think I think we can get well. I'll say we'll get on to it. I think he made a mistake tactically because he took off a forward and put on. He took Vento off and put Campbell on. And that basically just invited Kelly on. So I think there's still things to learn from Montgomery because I think he's my, I mean, he's always had a lot of experience in, in the British game as a player. Obviously, lots and lots of games. And playing under Neil Warnock, he's obviously had a particular grounding in that. And then he's obviously, his career as a manager has been in definitely a, a lesser quality league in a league which is very different, a league which is very, very poor defensively compared to ours, which is just poor. Um, so there, there are things to learn there, but I think the the way they set up was very different. Like they were really trying to play out from the back like very, very obviously and, and got themselves into a bit of bother doing it. But there was, it was very clear that was a different manager's Hibs team. And Craig Cairns, I've always been a little bit facetious there because... Hibs obviously have still got defensive frailties because their defence isn't any good. It was a, it was an area that in the summer they needed to do more strengthening to it than they ultimately did. But for whatever reason, whether that was something from the recruitment side, from the, the top of the club in terms of Ian Gordon, whether spending their money, does he want to just spend money, and, and a lot of money to be fair to him, on attackers, or does he want to spend that kind of money to make sure his defence is any good? Because that defence is still pretty crap just in terms of the personnel that it has. Especially when you've got Chris Cadenet injured that he wasn't even kind of replaced, although Lewis Miller did did probably look the best of the defence in this match. But Paul Hanlon dropped for for this one, or possibly, although it was, I did notice that it was suggested that he did have a knock. Rocky Bashiri comes in. He looked good at points. At last campaign after his initial dreadful start on a hip shot, but the left side of the feds isn't going to suit him. He was kind of fell asleep a bit for the first goal and then kind of basically dive to try and win a free kick, which then gave Kamarnock a corner for their winner. So Montgomery is still hamstrung, really, with what he can do with this team because unless he's a very, very good coach, he's not going to magic these players into just being solid defenders. Aye, that's it. I think it's it's clearly his first game. He's not had much time with the players, far less a, a transfer window. I think one thing that they've kind of not really banked on Hibs, I mean, some of the things that you've mentioned there, you can kind of... You saw coming, especially like at right back, why they haven't strengthened at right back. But I think uh, how poor Will Fish has been since his comeback is something that they didn't really bank on. And um, I think if they'd been getting better performances out of him, then they'd probably be, be having a better season. I don't disagree with Hanlon dropping out and, and Bushiri coming in. I think they, they do have to kind of move past these players at some point. And you heard Montgomery say after the game that... Uh, it was in relation to Jair. Jair, he, he pronounced it a way that I'd never heard before. Tavares, he, he said that everybody's got a, it's a blank slate for everybody now. So that'll include people like Bushiri, who clearly has a bit of talent. It's just it's been very, very stop-start. Some bits of real sort of bad luck in there for him as well. 
but we're, we're far off judging Montgomery. And if this Hibs team is showing characteristics of what it was like under the previous manager, then that's probably the previous manager's fault and not the new manager's fault. The thing that was really noticeable, though, was like goal kicks. Like David Marshall would get the ball, he would roll it across the box to a centre-back. This is from a goal kick, so not being taken yet. This, this was what they did every single time. Like It was almost like, like trained rolled the ball to the fullback who would then put it down the centre back would then pass it back across to Marshall and then they would play out from the back and they did that every single goal kick and I wondered if it was like time wasting because it was obviously they were 1-0 up from like 8 minutes but they did it they continued to do it when it went to 2-2 until about 10 minutes from the end when I think they they just started rattling it along because they were completely gone at that point but that is not going to work uh, with that goalkeeper in those centre halves like Kelly don't have the quickest front line. You're talking about Kyle Vassell and Marley Watkins, plus like Kennedy and Armstrong are the ones who are kind of harrying and hassling there. Can you imagine a sharper front line? Can you imagine a Celtic front line, even a Hearts front line, trying to get in amongst that um, when you've got quick players involved? They will, Marshall will make mistakes with the ball at his feet. He put a couple out of the park. It feels like idealistic at the moment. You can see why he's trying to do it, and it's maybe just setting a stall out to say this is how we want to play. And to be fair, they played some really nice stuff at times when they did get through the kind of half-arsed press, I would call it, from Kelly in, the, in that um, front line, which isn't... Kelly were letting them play. Um, it was a very odd, odd-paced odd game, I would say. Like, it wasn't your standard Scottish up and at them until probably 2-0, and then that was when it went into that and it probably suited us better. Hibs were passing the ball about Kelly were just letting them um, because I think they thought they're not going to hurt us here, which was fine. But then they did have a couple of times where it opened up and it just felt like they were... It was like an illustration. It was almost like a show performance, like this is what I want to do. And he told them go out and do this. And I don't know that that's a bad thing, but it, it felt like it probably put themselves into a bit of bother later on in the game because they were probably mentally tired from constantly having to think. And I think that's like something that's ignored. If a player has to like really concentrate so hard for so long, eventually they start making mistakes. And you saw that, for example, with, with Bashiri, but he wasn't the only one for, for both the goals. Craig, was it a change of system for Kamarnock going to... Because I'm reading this off of Google, but you can never really tell. Did they go to a 4-1-4-1 after this kind of 3 5 has been used so far this season? <sighs> Sort of, yes. Uh, I I find it very. I found it from the moment he's been the manager very difficult to work out exactly what tactics Kilmarnock actually play under Derek McInnes. I think his teams are quite flexible. However, I would say it was a back four in this game, and it was four centre halves really. Like Lewis Mayo certainly has it in him to play right back. He did it for for Thistle in the Championship a fair bit. But Stuart Finley played left back. I don't know if it was to just try and counteract Boyle or something that didn't really work. But obviously, Ndaba's the one that probably would be playing in that position who's injured. And I think Davies, just, and we talked about him in a, in a Patreon recently, I think he's maybe just not there in terms of ability. So yeah, it was a back four, but I think Kelly's system was was pretty poor, to be honest. It didn't really work. There was a lot in the first half of the game in particular of players like arguing with each other, and it felt like they didn't really know exactly what was being asked of them. And that's not something I've seen before with this kind of group it felt like there was big, big gaps in the middle of the park because Brad Lyons was kind of screening the entire midfield, which is a bold thing to do with a man who's, um, okay, didn't play any football, but he was uh, he was in Kazakhstan on Monday. Um, so you're talking about someone who's had to do a lot of travelling. He was like the midfield on his own because then McGuinness, Watkins, Kennedy Armstrong were all pushed really high up the park. And it didn't really work. And a lot of times, Hibs were winning everything that dropped in the middle of the park. 
I don't know if it was a gamble because he was just up against Jago and Newell, and he thought, well, well Jago's obviously similar to Lions, not very good at anything apart from like aggressive and being there. Um, and I thought maybe they, they thought he could get away with it, but he didn't get away with it. And then it was probably about half an hour into the game, started to get a wee bit tighter. McGinnis dropped back for spells. It, it started to go into more of a, I wouldn't even call it like a 4-4-1-1 rather than a 4-1-4-1, if, uh, if that makes sense. Kelly got a wee grip of the game because I would actually say from for all the chances that Hibs, or not even the chances, the time on the ball Hibs had were all in the first 25 minutes of the game. And then after that, I felt even though Kelly were pretty poor up until about the hour mark, they didn't yield that many chances. And then in the last half hour, Hibs, Hibs didn't really contribute. And so a draw, I thought, was ultimately fair. I think if you saw there was probably... 15 plus shots each it was a very shot heavy game yeah i would say the tactics didn't work and i would like to just go back to a back three even if it means that kennedy and armstrong is is wing backs again craig kearns it wasn't just kelly who were making a change in formation mcgowry came in and right away going with a 4-4-2 with two wingers and jago and newell in the middle of the park that was the kind of thing that really kind of stood it to me because i can understand why you want a kind of 4-4-2 with two strikers hibs so far this season, their strikers have been, you know, one of the best parts of their team. Boyle and, and Yuhan are arguably Hibs' best two players that they've got in their squad. But Joe Newell and Jimmy Jago as a, as a midfield pairing, I, I know that Hibs fans didn't really rate Newell's performance in this one. And it doesn't really feel to me like a partnership that is going to be able to do that, to function in that system long term. Or am I being too presumptive and too harsh there? No, I, yeah, I mean, maybe part of his thinking is that that one of their better performances of the season was that formation, almost that exact personnel. I'm trying to think who played alongside Newell in midfield. It was the home European game against Luzerne. It was Levitt. Yes. So maybe he was looking at something like that, that that was one of their better performances in recent times. And partly it's probably just trying to get as many as his good players on the pitch as possible. He, he's light in centre midfield. That that's another area where they're where they're not that great as, as centre midfield. So yeah, maybe he's just trying to. He's got he's got good attackers. He's got good wingers. So maybe it was a maybe it was a bit of, a bit of that as well. He is going to be hamstrung for a while until January. I saw a suggestion that maybe. Or was it the guys on the the Hibs podcast recently on Patreon, which was an astoundingly positive podcast for the predicament that uh, Hibs are in at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> Craig, don't you know that Hibs have got the best forward line in the entire league? My God! Oh, wait, no, hang he... on, hang on, hang on. The best forward line if you take out Kyogo, which was only what Duncan did to roll that absolutely wild shout back. <laughs> even besides that, even besides that, but one of their suggestions was that they maybe they maybe hung back a wee bit in the transfer window, maybe hedging their bets a bit, not knowing if Johnson was going to be there for the next one and keeping more of the budget than they otherwise would for January. So maybe that's part of the reason that they find themselves with this sort of um, lopsided squad so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a while before Montgomery can properly sort this out I would say okay let's move on to our second match and that is the game at Tynecastle Park Hibs in rivals the old JTs Stephen Naismith getting what I would probably 
call it a stay of execution with a 2-0 victory. Goals from Yutaro Oda and Liam Boyce over an absolutely shite Aberdeen side. We'll get onto that soon enough and I'll get you guys' opinion on Aberdeen because I've recorded a podcast with Gary Scott from the ABZ Football Podcast. About I love the Aberdeen podcasts when they're losing. They're fucking brilliant. That's some of the best <laughs> listens you'll get in Scottish football when Aberdeen are losing. The, the, oh yeah, they're oh they're so bitter. They're so bitter up there. There's uh, certainly a lot of losing going on in the northeast at the moment. But I'd like to focus on Hearts for the meantime because it's it's obviously it's a huge result for Naismith if they managed to not. I mean, I was going to say lose, but even not finding victory in this one would have already had. I think the vast majority of fans clamping for a change at the manager position because everybody's kind of looked upon it as a as an experiment. And they've just they've just changed manager last week. <laughs> Come on, Craig, let's be serious now. <laughs> let's, let's be serious and not an absolute joke like Hartman Lothian Football Club. So is this his second spell as manager? <laughs> yeah, he's returned. First victory, second spell in charge. But there was a lot of this for Hearts. I still didn't really like. It was great to get the victory and there were some good performances in there. Stephen Kingsley, I think, showing that talk of his demise is a bit premature. I thought he was excellent. Kai Rolls had one of his better performances of this season of, of 2023. I think the Aberdeen forward line made it easy for him, but he was still he was still kind of stronger than we usually see for Rolls and good on the ball as well. Cammy Devlin was a, a real excellent presence in the, in the centre of the park. However, I still don't think there was a lot to be learned. Sorry, I still don't think there was a lot that Naismith seemed to have learned from recent weeks. I was, I was actually aghast when aghast is maybe a bit strong, but I was, I was taken aback when I saw the team because I just kind of thought, well, it's just more of the same, isn't it? It's not really changing and, and addressing the problems that Hearts have had. They've in their centre back pair, and they've not really had players who have been too capable at playing it out from the back. Or, or at least they can play it out from the back, but neither of them are, I would say, brilliant at it, and neither of them really like to carry the ball. So when teams sit off them and don't press, this was easily seen in the Dundee game, just let them have the ball as much as they want and they're not going to do anything with it and we can just concentrate on covering up the midfield and making it hard for them to play through the lines. So he didn't change that. He stuck with the same back too, Kent and Rose. The midfield too, Peter Harron has not started the season well at all. Him and Cammy Devlin once did look like a strong partnership. There hasn't been any evidence of that, yet they're thrown together. Peter Harron was possibly Hart's worst player on the day, at least out of the players that started the match. He was, I've yet to see it back, but he looked lucky not to be sent off after already being on a yellow card and bringing down his man on the edge of the penalty area. That wasn't, foul wasn't given, it had been given, it would have had to be in a second yellow and Hearts would have been down to 10 men. They were 1-0 up at the time. That, that would have left them in a, in a massive hole. Naismith even handled Harren throughout this game pretty poorly, I would have said, because he considered taking him off right after that because Oda, who had opened the scoring, had picked up an injury doing one of those ridiculous chopbacks that he likes to do. <laughs> that the defender saw. The defender and everybody in the ground saw coming a mile off and he seemed to tweak his hamstring or his thigh or something at that moment and so he had to go off and George Grant was out on the touchline as well receiving instructions and it looked like Harren was going to come off and Grant was going to come on at that moment Naismith ultimately decided no we'll stick with Harren we'll, we'll let him 
play through this. He's you know he's an experienced player. He'll, he'll know not to make any more daft challenges. Which I mean, he didn't, but he was still really poor in terms of getting caught out of position, in terms of giving away the ball too easily. And he just kind of thought, right, he's got to stay inside at half time. He doesn't. Five minutes in the second, but three minutes in the second half, Harry makes another bad mistake. Naismith actually tells him, like, you can see him, like, point to Harry and Harry looking over, and Naismith gives it the kind of no more sign. And I think that basically meant no more or you're coming off. But Callum, you went off, was already stripped at that point, and then he just came on anyway, and Harry then looked quite pissed off that it seemed like he'd been given a stay of execution or, or another chance to to impose himself on the game and not make any more mistakes and yet he was taken off like a minute later so he seemed quite unhappy with that and it meant that Hearts only had one more opportunity to make a substitute because you, know, you can only stop the game three times they stopped the game the first half for Oda's injury and then stopped it for the Harden one and it meant they could only make one more lot of changes and that happened later on as well where Natty Atkinson was injured and they had to then also bring on Liam Boyce, even though it came at a time where Boyce had just only scored a couple of minutes before, but also Hearts were playing at their best during the game, and it really didn't make too much sense to change it too much. But obviously, Atkinson had to go off. He was he had picked up an injury himself. Again, just looked like a tight hamstring. And then you're left with the fact that you can't make any more changes for the rest of the match. So he had to bring on Grant because he knew that he would have had to take off Boyce or one of the forward players at some point. So it just had to come at that moment. So there was just a lot, and and to say as well, going talking about Boyce and Shanklin, again, I don't think they two worked too well together as a partnership. It worked in points in this game. It worked against Rosenberg. I thought they were both decent against Pauk. But I think they're too similar for it to be a viable two-man pairing for the rest of the season if Hearts were to finish third. And yet, so we had all these problems still there. Hearts, I think, were pretty crap in this game for 55 minutes. They then really started to click together for those 10 minutes leading up to Boyce's goal and they've done very well to see the rest of the game out. However, I think that was mainly down to the fact that Aberdeen were rotten. Yeah, it was, he's thinking maybe, I, I quite like the analysis on sports scene with the Aberdeen fullbacks and how their wingbacks and how they were constantly caught up the pitch. And So do you think that was maybe, I mean, I, I don't think for a second that Naismith was banking on them playing that poorly, but do you think that's why he's gone with the two pacey players in the in the wings or, or were those, were those the, the least of your worries when it came to the team selection to be fair that was a bit I did like the most and it is something that makes sense that if you're playing with a team with a 3-5-2 then to get wingers in there who can get on the touchline and, and cause problems and Oda scored the opening goal and looked a bit sharper than he has done in recent weeks and Vargas is somebody I continue to be very impressed by really unlucky with that that absolute howitzer that came crashing back off the post and he's somebody that looks like he will be a a good signing once he's fully kind of acclimatised and just knows how to impose himself on games a little bit more because he comes in and out of matches and, and flashes, but when he does get on the ball and he can get ahead of steam going, he's somebody that looks a, a real threat. That was a part of the team I did like, but it just seems like, it, it felt to me like Naismith hadn't really learned anything from the problems so far this season, and I'm not... I mean, some people will be happy with the performance and they'll think I might be being too negative about Hearts. But beating a terrible Aberdeen team yeah, at yeah. Tynecastle. Hearts always beat Aberdeen at Tynecastle, even if Aberdeen are playing yeah. well. There's a, there's so a lot be, be, to... Beating a terrible Aberdeen team isn't going to make me initially feel immediately feel that things are going to be fine under Naismith. I still think there's a lot of uh, issues with this team that, that need solved. There's definitely 
there's definitely a, a lot that he still needs to prove, yeah. But with, with Aberdeen, and you, you'll be better placed to answer this as well. I don't know if you want to come in at, as well, Craig. But to me, it looks like Aberdeen have got a decent squad. That I know that the, I know that last season the Thursday Sunday thing kind of took it out of Hearts, and that's maybe not the what's happened this week. Given we've just come off the back of an international break, but I do think that that does take it out of a team. That and there's a lot of players bedding in. I mean, that's the first time this back three's played together, for instance. It's a, a, it's like 70% of it's like a new a new side or something starting to line up every week. So is it just a matter of time before they settle and they, they actually do it? Or are we heading to crisis point with Aberdeen here? I think we're already very close to crisis point, especially as they're likely to get absolutely gubbed off of Frankfurt in midweek as well. They are just, they've signed a number of defenders. They need to, that needs to be given time to gel because they're changing the back three every single week and it's just not going to work if they continue to do that when they're, and it's, it's a tempting thing to do when you're looking for the right formula to chop and change, but the defence needs to be able to get a degree of understanding with each other because they're just not good at this moment in time. And I just don't think that the the way Robson wants his team to play suits the players at his disposal. Now, we do have a Patreon episode that'll be going up about the same time as this one, where I talk to Gary, as I mentioned, I talked to Gary Scott of the ABZ podcast, and we'll go into more detail than that about Aberdeen, where, you know, I ask him questions. So I'm maybe not the, the man to talk about this on the main show. So I'll go to Craig Anderson for this one. Yeah. Craig, it's got to be, you've got to be absolutely, I mean, you've got to be very, very concerned if you're an Aberdeen fan at this point in time that they showed nothing in terms of reaction after the international break, having had that dreadful start to the league campaign. Yeah, I think, I mean, to get to this point in the season and not have won a game yet is um, obviously a bit of a worry. And that that obviously includes Europe as well, where they they maybe had one good performance or or one good 20 minutes in a European game. And apart from that, there'd be very little that they can kind of lean on as something that's... Beat Sterling. Well, they did beat Sterling. Sorry, I forgot about that. I was like, no, because they didn't beat anybody in the cup yet. But yeah, you're right. Sorry, they they, they scraped past Sterling Albion, who lost three 0 to Annan Athletic at the weekend. Um, they did beat them, but the 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 you said Craig, they have a a, a good squad or a, 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 a decent squad. I think you said sorry. I think they've well, got there's a big, some players a big in squad. there. A caveat in there that there's some players that I'm not really got any idea about. So yeah, aye. I, I um, think they've got. A, a big squad and I think the the I mean you and I talked Craig about Jensen and, and I don't know you obviously saw him for the first time he looked a bit shaky to me in this game um, I was obviously um, thought thought he didn't look very good the, the hacking game Gartenman again it's his debut you don't really read too much into it didn't, didn't look the best but the, that defence from the defence is what got them over the line to third place last season they obviously Pollock was a big part of that they've not got him McDonald's not been Featuring, it feels like it's all of a sudden um, that part of it's disappeared. They've lost Ramadani, who was a big cog in the middle of the part. They've not really managed to replace him at all. And then in attack, um, Miofsky, I think, had an actually an all right start to the season. I don't think he had the best game here. But Duke has just, just disappeared, which is, I think, something you'd always wonder about with him. It felt very much like a man who thought he would be in Aberdeen for a year. Um, and and maybe mentally yeah, he basically has been and that's it. So there are a few concerns from that point of view. What I've said is like looking at fixture list, excluding the European games, which I appreciate you can't do. Their fixtures maybe look a little bit better from now on. Um, I think they've got um, they've got Ross County in the league at home and in the cup away. I think. 
Then they play Rangers, which is obviously a, a tricky one, but then I think they've got a reasonable run that are mostly at home. So they may be able to turn that round. And, and so they will be concerned. I think there will be a lot to be concerned about, but I think the tipping point will come if they don't get any results in Europe. For example, when they play HJK in particular, that'll be the ones they'll be targeting. But also if they are starting to, you know, they get knocked out of the, the cup and they start to not win these more winnable games because Tynecastle is always going to be a hard place to go um, even when Hearts are, are not at their best but when you just keep not winning games that's where it um, it starts to stack up and, and it's already uh, we, we talked about two clubs giving the job to the caretaker like two big two of the bigger clubs in, in the country doing it and, and, and these two and we're already kind of talking about doubts with both of them already and so it maybe points to the fact that that can sometimes be the right approach, but it doesn't. It doesn't always work. Right. Let's move on to our third game, which was the live match early on Saturday at McDermott Park. Finished St Johnson nil, Rangers two. Goals from Danilo, who took a really nasty looking head knock after this one, where it, it looked like he'd fractured his orbital bone, and uh, either that or his cheekbone, and we may not see him for some time now, which has got to be. Gutting if you're a Rangers fan who's brought in for a hefty sum of money. It was like, where's Danilo? Why is he not starting? He gets a start, he gets a go, and then immediately he's injured. And yeah, like I said, it's got to be... You have to think that's going to take a while to, to fully heal him before he's allowed back in the park game. Then again, he might return with a mask um, before, which we have seen players do. Even still, that's going to... They were talking about him. I don't know how it's gone. It's it's Monday now, but Beal said after the game that he, they were hopefully going to get surgery done that night. So I mean, yeah, that sounds sounds pretty nasty. I think that's going to be a wee while before he's even allowed to do any sort of contact sport. I'd imagine. And then Rabbi Matondo's rise this season continues with him coming off the bench to get the second goal. But Craig Kearns, you. This was a game you watched. How did you see it? Was this just a case of... Because I, I caught a lot of it in the pub and it just seemed to be like Rangers were the better side, as you would expect it would be. But they still... St. Johnson didn't really do enough to make it as hard as them, on them as it could have been. Yeah, it was fairly routine. It was nothing spectacular from Rangers, but I think it's just kind of what they needed to get back on track. I mean, ideally, you go out and you smash them and you you play really well and you, you get... A few of these players that uh, got big question marks over their heads put in uh, great performances. But failing that, you get back to winning ways and and that's what they've done. And it, it is really unfortunate on Danilo because he's, he's, he's done okay given the fact that he's not really started that much and he, he gets them ahead after a bit of a stodgy start here and then immediately... He has to go off and as we're saying, he might, he might miss out for a while there. But there were other positives there. Roof was decent again. Tom Lawrence was uh, very good, especially uh, the the later the game went on. Raskin was good. Uh, defensively, they didn't really have to do that much. There was a spell in the second half where St. Johnston put them under a bit of pressure, got a few balls into the box, but they they were like, they were like a couple inches away from connecting with the cross or things like that. They never really put them under that much pressure. So I, I'd say it was a fairly a fairly routine one. It, if it's if it's a stepping stone towards Rangers becoming a, a good team again, then fair enough. But there would be a worry that it's yeah, it's still it's still not quite 
quite clicking for them. And the I, I think one of the worrying things as well, I mean, Danilo aside, uh, it still seems to be the best players that they have are ones that they already had employed at the club going into the summer, other than Butland. Craig Anderson, yeah, the, the Rangers team has still got question marks going through it, isn't it? Especially now when Danilo's out, so it's the question of like who they're going to start up front. Roof has looked decent. And the, the, to be fair, the front three at the end of the game of Roof... Tom Lawrence and Matondo might look like it. It's wild to say that you would have said this going into the season, especially the amount of money they spent on that forward line. But it seems like that might be their best hope going forward in terms of the kind of like the balance and, and what it can strike. Because Sam Lammers, he continues to be given chances for Michael Beale yeah. from the start of 11. He's yet to show anything. And it's not just that, because further back, Ben Davis is brought back for John Suter for this one. If that's the answer to their defensive issue then I think we've seen already with Davies that it's not going to work out particularly well and Yilmaz there's been a lot of call for him to be given an opportunity in the left side of defence because people are just a bit sick of Bona Barisic he didn't really show anything either so it's still yeah it's a victory that Michael Beale desperately needed but there's not a huge amount to suggest that things are going to turn around for him anytime soon I think with some of that as well, like um, I think Yomas isn't in their European squad, and so I think some of the, the guys like him are going to rotate. I think that's true. I'm sure I read that, which seemed weird to me. Did he did he not drop out when Matondo and who was it that like Hadji and Yomas dropped out, and Matondo and somebody else came in? I think was it Davies, something like that. I think I'm pretty sure that he did drop out as well, Craig. Yeah, yeah, no, he did, he did, um, and that they also didn't include uh, Dill, who's one of their new signings, and it and it felt like a, quite an odd kind of group of um, of players that they they put in. So I think some of these inclusions will be partly down to the fact, well, Yomas can't play midweek, so get get him out on the park mm. here. But yeah, it feels like. You're you're talking about you you said Craig like they're, they're signing um, the players that were already at the club. We're talking about the players that were already at the club when Stephen Gerrard managed them. Are, are the ones that are still like mostly it is like um, because because it's not even just it's not even just this summer signings. It's like last summer signings as well. Or January signings are all the ones that are getting um, that that are, are dragging them through a lot of time. Um, plus, I mean, Matondo has been the the one player who I'd say has thrived the most under Bill so far. That, that this season, anyway, that was a beautiful finish as well. It was like uh, there was like shades of Thierry Henry about the finish. I'm I'm not saying there's shades of Thierry Henry about the player, but he obviously came highly rated in the first place. Like there, there was obviously something about him. I think it's his pace, and if that can be moulded in some way like that, definitely in a game like this, in those situations where. Rangers are winning and they just need someone to kill off a game. Someone quick in behind in, in our league is going to be um, going to be a massive threat. We've seen that with, with guys like Martin Boyle already. Like, it's very hard to judge because I think St. Johnston kept themselves in this game but really didn't do a lot. And, and I think that's been a bit of a theme with St. Johnston. They've got a very good goalkeeper, some grafters, but like they've got a lot of players who are just... They're not going to create things and, and like continuing with Graham Carey in the middle of the park, like it's, it's not happening. Like he's just not. I've never really thought he was very good, Graham Carey. Like I, 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 I focused to go on about him when he played with St Mirren. Like I'm talking about like what must have been 15 years ago when he was on loan there, and he and he was good at running up the wing at that point, and maybe had a good left foot on him. But when he came back, and everyone was like, "Oh, that'll be a great signing." Why he's been like playing in a worse league for 
five or six years out in Bulgaria. Like it, it's, it didn't make any sense. I think Rangers will, as you said, Craig, they need to win the game. That's the, their main thing. But I don't think they learned anything from this this match in particular. Other um, than in, Lawrence, in a, maybe. Other than yeah, well, the positivity true. around Lawrence, I would maybe say, yeah, that's that's definitely yeah. the biggest positive from it. And it's really unfortunate with Danilo because who knows what happens if he stays on the pitch after scoring. Well, but these keeps it, yeah, and, and it's that it's that thing if he's kind of taking his time to get in, that's his first, his first or not his first goal, but it's like his first goal from the from a start, I think, and, and you think, right, this is the time for him to kick on, and he, he well, literally a split second after he scores the goal, that is, uh, that's him. And it is one of these types of injuries, we remember with Carol McHugh when he got like a, mm. a facial injury, and it was basically the best part of a year before he saw him again. Like, you don't know with these injuries whether they could be back in two weeks or it could be literally... You don't see him ever again for Rangers. Like you just, I think it's so unpredictable. Yeah, so that was a big blow for them, and their big task will come. I think they play Betis in midweek. Um, that will be when it starts to kind of um, see whether they're starting to turn the corner or whether they were just playing a, a bad team. Right, let's move on to our next game, which take, took place at Far Park at the weekend. Motherwell losing one nil to St Mirren, who. It's basically the battle of the two teams who are stating the best case so far this season to be interlopers into the battle that everybody perceived it was going to be Hearts, Aberdeen or Hibs as the most likely team to finish third in the Scottish Premiership this campaign. It's now St Mirren jump above Motherwell on the table. They are undefeated in their five games so far, three victories and two draws. Motherwell lose their first game of the campaign a 1-0 defeat at home to the Buddies with Scott Tanzer grabbing the only goal of the game. And Motherwell, I, I actually fancied St Mirren to win this one. I think that when I look at both teams on paper, I just like that St Mirren team a bit better than Motherwell side. And I was impressed with St Mirren when the two played in the Cup. I went to that match and I thought that it was a deserved victory for the Buddies. I wouldn't say so far in this. I wouldn't say that was necessarily the case with this game. Motherwell had a, a number of chances in order to score. So Mirren didn't really create an awful lot other than their only goal. But we know that they're a team that are organised, they're hard to beat. And after that initial seven months where they were dreadful away from home last season under Stephen Robinson, they've now started to put together victories on their travels. And that certainly bodes well for them. But Craig Cairns, I suppose this is maybe a case of Motherwell having a lot of chances, but we know the problems that Motherwell have in their attack at the moment with... Uh, Bereth out for a long time, Obika out as well. They're going with and even um, Connor Wilkinson as yeah, well wasn't, it, yeah. av- wasn't available for this one, so they had to go with Theo Bear and then they had to bring on Ollie Shaw. So maybe it's not a surprise that it's going to go. Yeah, and uh, you're talking about that uh, Matondo finish being Thierry on like the was the opposite from uh, Ollie Shaw from a quite a similar position. Although he takes that first time, you can see how disappointed he is with that. It's uh, I've abs- seen that look many times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, seen that in the flesh a few times. So yeah, I mean, I can understand. I I, I don't think players should just be written off. Completely, I, and I do like when managers kind of back themselves to take a player who obviously has attributes and think I I can be the guy to to make. And, and sometimes it works. Motherwell's been a club that's been a home to player, like polished up players like that in the past. Who knows? It might still come good for them. But yeah, it's it's definitely no surprise going by their recent scoring rates in Scotland that neither of those scored, but. 
they are, have been unlucky as well. The guy that they signed, not as a direct replacement for Van Veen, if you see what I mean, they weren't expecting him to come up and score the goals that he scored, but the guy that they've gone out and got when he's left is missing. And then a guy that tore it up for for a half uh, and looked like he was going to be an absolute beast for them. They're going to be lucky if they see again. So um, aye, they've been a bit unlucky in that in that sense. For St Mirren, what we'll say is, uh, do you know what happened the last time St Mirren went uh, their first five top flight games unbeaten? Uh, they were relegated. Yeah, they did get relegated, Yes, <laughs> That was in uh, <laughs> 1970-71, though, so a long time ago. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen this season, for sure. Yeah, um, they, they, look at, they look at a good team. Um, again, they were, they, they, they rode the, uh, it's hard to say they rode the luck. They, they, Motherwell had a lot of chances, and as I said, Hemming made a lot of saves. I don't think any of them were really particularly good saves. They were just the, saves, but, but you still need to make the them. The Ghent one at the end. I think, yeah, that, did he get that? I, wasn't I think sure he gets he a tap, tap onto it, yeah. Um, but that was, um, the, it was one of those afternoons, I think, for Motherwell, where you did think, no matter what they do, they weren't going to score. But um, they are just a very, very difficult team to play against St Mirren. Um, even when you get on the top of them and even when you have a lot of the ball, they don't tend to give up really good chances. They give up opportunities and that's because they have they have a really solid and, and well put together defence. And even when, because Taylor's been starting a lot of games and I'm not really sure in him and, and he, he was subbed again at halftime in this one and, and Dunn came on, but it doesn't really seem to matter when the personnel change. And I think that's always a sign of good coaching doesn't matter, you take a player in, you drop a different player in and, and nothing really seems to change. We talked about players that probably didn't want or expect to be here, um, but Keanu Bacchus comes on in the second half of this game and I think probably was, a, was an upgrade on um, on Boyd Munts as well um, in that respect. And so they they kept themselves in the game and then it's a really nice nice goal at the end of it. Um, it's always good when the full-backs or the wing-backs link up for a goal. And they... Well, yeah, they, they'll be absolutely flying. Yeah, I mean, they've maybe not had the toughest start to the season, but they've still had some pretty tricky fixtures and, and they've managed to, um, yeah, take, they're, they're only sitting two points behind Celtic. Yeah, to kind of go on to your point there, they do seem to have some decent depth right throughout the team. Like, if you, like I said, you mentioned their back is coming on in the second half, for, coming on for Boyd Munts. I think it shows you the start that Boyd Munts has had to the campaign that when Mark O'Hara returned to the team, he was the one instead of Bacchus who kept his his spot in the starting eleven. Scott Tanzer, a fitting goal scorer for, for the match winner for this one because he's been excellent so far this campaign, having been someone that some Mun fans were often grumbling about last season and often started on the bench with Thierry Small, who has come back to the club and just isn't getting a start now because Tanzer's been in such good form. You look at the defence, you mentioned Taylor not having a good game again. I've been impressed by Taylor this season in the, two, in the three matches I've seen some but he struggled the last two outings, but Charles Dunn could kind of come off and fill that space. You've even got up front. Oli Sunya's a completely different player than the one we saw last campaign. There's also Alex Grieve, who is somebody that I'm not too sure on whenever he starts, but he always brings energy and a goal threat whenever he comes off the bench. So that they just do seem to have... Um, it's modest, but it's a, a, a number of players who aren't necessarily... who don't necessarily make the team weaker by coming into it and you say that could that is perhaps a sign that Stephen Robinson has done very well in terms of coaching this team and making the players understand exactly what is needed of them when they go out on a Saturday yeah the fact that they've added 
away form is quite encouraging for them because that was one of their big problems last season. And I do wonder if Stephen Robinson will employ the same system uh, at Tynecastle when he's made Hearts manager in December. <laughs> Oh dear. Somebody's <laughs> going to take him. <laughs> like Aberdeen, Hearts, somebody will. Somebody will get rid of the manager and take him, I think. Um, he's got to be on the next on the list, no? That makes that that makes that makes move. Like the Jim Goodwin move, the, the Mark McGee move. The... But, but that, those two names are exactly what you'll... I, I think Robinson is a perfect manager for medium-sized clubs. Yes. Um, it fails more I, often I, than not. I'm not saying it will with Robinson, but it does fail more often than not. It's a, it's a, a Me and Graham have spoken about it a fair few times. It is a leap that a lot of players and managers don't seem to be able to make. Okay, let's move on to our penultimate game, which was Celtic 3, Dundee 0. Celtic again finding victory without looking overly convincing. The the first half ended nil nil. Celtic did have a, a very nice goal uh, disallowed for offside against Dyson Meda, who was one of the more impressive Celtic players on the day. But otherwise, it wasn't a great performance from Brendan Rodgers' side. That they failed to move the ball quickly. Second half, a lot more improved. They could have been one nil down. I meant to say as well, Joe Hart made a great save from Luke McCown that could have given Dundee a, a half time lead. But Rio Hitati came on for David Turnbull in the second half and Celtic looked better as a result of that. They moved the ball a lot quicker. Rodgers kind of made it a point when he came in at the start of the season that he, he, he Turnbull was somebody had his eye on and somebody that he kind of wanted to impress. Sorry, he wanted to develop after developing a number of players when he was at the club last time around. But already Celtic fans are getting a wee bit fed up with this experiment and just want to see Hitati in the team. I think I think though I mean they've got one of their biggest games in the the entire Champions League campaign on um, Tuesday night, um, Wednesday night, whatever night it is, um, away to final. So I can understand like for this game that even if even if that is the case, you, you keep Hatati back for that one, surely. Yeah, no, nah, and Hatati has been injured. To be fair, there was there was talk this summer that he was kind of looking at looking elsewhere, thinking that he's futurely away for Celtic Park and that. I think maybe impact is on his relationship with Rodgers and he has had injury issues, but there has been games where Rodgers has had him on the bench instead of Turnbull. But I think it is clear to see that while Rodgers may like the idea of bringing up David Turnbull so that he fits it in this midfield, it still doesn't look necessarily that that's the case, even though he did do well for the penalty and ultimately uh, tucked it away as well. Matt O'Reilly looks a far better bet to be the player that really flourishes under Brendan Rodgers. And I know that, I mean, you could have probably appointed Neil Lennon again and and Matt O'Reilly would flourish in, in, in this league. He's a, just a very, very good player who's who's not going to be here for too much longer, I don't think. But yeah, I think the Hattati thing, it was a bit bizarre because he sort of, he started, was it the first game of the season or the first, the first league game of the season he started Turnbull instead of Hattati and he scored twice. And then that kind of made Turnbull the the, the favoured option, and then Hatati was injured. So um, I think that's one of the reasons there's been like this prolonged uh, period where he's been out. But as uh, Craig was saying, it's probably more likely that he was topping up his minutes in the game there, and he's going to be used for it's Tuesday Tuesday night the the game against Feyenoord. I guess the only other really interesting thing about Celtic in this game was that Nat Phillips. Started the match, but he was withdrawn at half time with Gustav 
Lager Bielk coming on instead, who Celtic fans I don't think have been overly convinced by so far this campaign after he signed in the summer. However, he had a, a very strong second half as, again, it just seemed to kind of improve Celtic's play and it was very much a case of they, they were a, a better team in the second 45, Lager Bielk, or however you pronounce it, uh, coming on in 45 minutes and then Hitati for the last half hour. And really, the other thing you could really say about Dundee is that they'll be pretty pleased overall, I would say. They, they go there, they don't get absolutely hammered. They have opportunities to score. That's probably the only thing they would maybe say is that there were, there were good chances that Dundee had in this match and to at least not get a goal in this game, let alone get the goal at, at 0-0 that might have made this game completely different, but just not score at all is maybe the only disappointment they'll have. But for a team that came into the league only wanting not to get relegated, have had a promising start, and haven't been gubbed at Celtic Park. That's kind of uh, just a, usually a case of, okay, that's fine. Let's move on. The, the squad looks like much stronger than when they got relegated the last time. Like, yeah, there's a lot of players we don't know a lot about yet, but from what we've seen about them so far, they, they and we didn't like know much about the manager. Um, but going by what my colleague George Cran wrote about them, it sounds like he had a decent tactical plan for this as well. He asked the two strikers to kind of drop in and stop. Callum McGregor from dictating the game and he said he also played Finn Robertson who is nominally a central midfielder he played him on the right so you could track Greg Taylor your favourite when he kind of drifted into the into the middle of the pitch and stuff so it sounded like um, and it was a penalty that got Celtic going on the day who knows how the game goes I mean it would have as we say they didn't have much of a goal threat but how who knows how long the game stays nil-nil for um, if they don't get that penalty which was definitely a penalty. Yeah, it's, it's such an incredibly soft decision. It's one that like the referee is given as an easy free kick, and then it turns out it's uh, it's not. And I mean, yeah, you can't actually argue with the, the award of the decision. It's a foul, but it's just like so incredibly soft to give away a penalty in mm-hmm. that position of the park, uh, and it changes the game. And it's it's. I think there's an argument for for penalties. Uh, I, I th- I've always thought this for actually just continuing to give free kicks inside the inside the box for um, certain incidents and I think that would be a perfect one for them to be honest but how you would actually make mm-hmm. that work I don't know. Okay let's move on to our final game which took place in the Highlands Ross County 1 Livingston 1. I spoke about the Motherwell St Burn game being an example of an away team managing to to leave with something that they might not have deserved. I think you could certainly say this about Livingston in this one. Ross County with the vast majority of the, the chances from this game. 16 shots to 5, 57% possession. They take a lead through Simon Murray, definitely deserved, but they did not get all three points. I'm trying to look it up at the moment, but I can't see on the app if it has touches inside the penalty area, but I did read on Pie and Bovril fans saying that Livingston only had six touches inside the Ross County penalty area. Yeah, I think it was five. I'm sure I saw on a, a BBC graphic that said five. Yeah, five. So five, five touches inside six, the penalty yeah. area, but leave with a point after Bruce Anderson equaled it up with 18 minutes ago, and it didn't look like Ross Laidlaw was too clever no, for that I was goal. No, I was going to say that. It was a pure goal to lose overall, I think. But yeah, when it's a really disappointing one when your keeper's letting it through his legs. But overall... Ross County made a decent start to the season, but Laidlaw's made a good start to the season, and largely their defence has uh, been pretty good so far this season as well. So uh, there's a lot to like about Ross County, and, and they'll see this uh, as two points drop, but there's definitely a lot to like about them this season. 
this finding out what happens when the opponents score against you and it actually counts um, this time. So I think they would have really, really, they'll be so annoyed with that goal that they conceded. It was really, really cheap because Guthrie gets himself into a position that he's got two defenders and he manages to shrug them off far too easily and he shouldn't be, in that at that stage in the game, you shouldn't be even allowing that type of ball to happen and then it's just he makes that really easy and then he manages to, to feed in Anderson and as you say like you don't expect because I, I obviously knew that Bruce Anderson had scored in this game and I was watching the highlights back and I was like I doubt this is the goal and then it was it, it feels like a chance that you would not expect your goalkeeper to let in but Anderson is a very good finisher so that is always um, something that happened to him and Livingston like They've been written, not written off, but like they've obviously been writing themselves they've, they've off. Been, yeah, <laughs> writing themselves off exactly. But they've actually made a, a reasonably all right start to the season. They they got beat from Rangers, and that's been the only one they beat Hibs, and I think they've drawn every every other game. Given that they've had a pretty tough start, um, or, or at least not the super easy start, like that's they've done all right, and they are starting to kind of bed in a couple of new signings um, and amongst it all, but they're still leaning quite heavily on guys that were already there and good players that were already there. And so maybe their their demise has been overstated by David Martindale. Have they sold Nubly yet? (laughs) (laughs) Heard that's why they were late. Yes, for 40 million. (laughs) You're trying to flog them on the way up. (laughs) Yeah, the only concern I think for Livy this one was that Michael Devlin went off with an injury but Martindale did say afterwards it was the other ankle than the one that's been giving him so much problems over recent seasons. So the hope is that he will be back soon. They do have guys that have kind of come in and and done a a decent job. De Lucas is someone that I've mentioned on this podcast before. He's had a very bright start to the season and it did look like a good bit of business to get him in in January and then kind of get allow him to get up to speed and to get used to Scottish football. Because last season he looked a little bit shaky, I would say, but he's certainly impressed and having that initial six months in the team to to learn and then, you know, use the summer to to focus on certain aspects of his game or just you know just just to settle in, in Scottish life or whatever. It does seem to be paying dividends. And Jamie Brandon is someone that I've seen that Livingston fans are fairly pleased with so far. I don't think he'll. It's certainly far too soon to say, and I don't think he's quite as good as what Nicky Devlin was for Livy, but the fact that he's come in, if you'd asked me, is Brandon a former Hearts player? Is he going to have a, a top-flight career? I would have said no, but this is what Livingston have been. This is what they do, exactly. The, yeah. On the other side, uh, James Penrice, would you have said the same about, no. about him when Livingston signed him? Sean Kelly. I mean, no. they, they do this all the time. Stephen Kelly as well. All the Kellys. All the Kellys. <laughs> Sean more so, I'd say. Yeah, and even but, yeah. even Guthrie looked terrible last season. Still not convinced by him, but he's provided a bit more this campaign than he certainly was in his initial season at the line. So it just kind of feels like this Livingston team, I'd be very surprised if they got top six, but you never know, especially with the league looking as strange as it does at this moment in time. But I also would be very surprised if they were even in, in serious relegation bother this season. I, th- I think they are going to finish. I think ninth place has got Livingston written all over it. And they'll be they'll be fine with that. Um, and, and Ross County, like they, they they look like they're not going to lose a lot of games. I think the problem with the county team is their defence does still look a bit dodgy. I think that's probably been the least impressive part because 
they've signed very well otherwise and turning Conor Randall back into a centre midfielder that was what he was initially at Liverpool when he was a youngster and when he was first brought up to Hearts it was like oh he's going to play in the centre of the park and then he ended up playing right back and you thought that guy can only play right back because he's, he's he's full of strong running but as uh, on, on the football he, uh, he has his limitations but he's done quite well in the centre and Kyle Turner I had my doubts whether he would make the step up I thought especially this campaign I thought he'd maybe take a wee bit of time to get up to speed he was very good for Thistle last season, but mainly in the second half after Chris Doolin had taken charge. And I just thought it would be too much of a step up, but he's impressed so far. Jan Danda is easily one of the best players, especially technically in the in the, in the the bottom half of the table. And the fact that they've managed to really carve out a proper role for him this season is, is a big reason why County are doing so well, because you could see the talent there when he initially joined from Swansea at the start of last season, but Mackay just never really knew how to use him and was often bringing him off the bench, much to the chagrin of County fans, but he's just playing a, a pivotal role this campaign. And also, Simon Murray scoring again. Again, another player which I'm thinking, ah, I'm not sure if he's a premiership forward and when he initially signed in January, didn't really impress too much. Got that huge goal, obviously, in the playoff final and that's just, whether it's confidence or whether it's just to figure out that he works so well with Jordan White, he's really kicked on at the start of this campaign. So there's, a, yeah, a lot to like about County, but and guys like Nightingale and, and Leak at the back, alongside Baldwin, who is still undoubtedly their best defender, but a bit of a bomb scare, that's the only area of the team that I think is real kind of cause for concern. Mm. And it may be the area of the team that ultimately stops them from finishing in the in the top six. Baldwin's uh, long throws are getting further and further. He will not be long until he's like taking long throws from like inside his own half. Um, it just seems it seems to be like constantly working. I'm just building up those guns. That's my that's my main takeaway for this game. <laughs> Jack Baldwin's gun show. There we go. That's the title of the podcast. Uh, no, I was just going to say yan dan da. That's that's all. That's all I was going to say. So just 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 move on. <laughs> I think that's time to finish then. <laughs> For, uh, we all lose our minds like Craig Kids just did. <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig Anderson. Thank you. Thanks very much, Craig Kearns. Thank you. And I'm Craig Fowler saying thank you to everybody for listening. And if you'd like to hear more for us, I already name dropped it earlier, but we've got the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. It's £2 a month is the lowest tier. It's £5 a month to get everything you want. And it's £7 a month if you want some goodies at the end of each and every season. So please, if you'd like to support the podcast and you'd like to hear more from us, then that is definitely the best place in which to do so. Until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.